We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Thursday, February the 29th, 2024, in the year of our Lord. It's leap year. Today's the 29th. Hattie McDaniel, today in 1940, becomes the first African-American person to be nominated for and win an Academy Award. She won the Best Actress in a supporting role of her betrayal of Mammy in the movie Gone with the Wind. Today in 1944, General MacArthur and his Allied forces invaded the Admiralty Islands, beginning Operation Brewer, and they faced fierce battles against the Japanese forces. The operation ends in May of 1944 and is successful for the Allies. Today in 1960, the popularity syndicated the popularity syndicated comic strip Family Circle was created by Bill Keene. It made its debut in 1960. And today, today it only sports fans will appreciate this to its fullest extent. But today in 1972, Hank Aaron, great baseball player, he signed a $200,000 uh, a year contract. He became the first player in Major League Baseball to get that large of a contract. Those of you who follow sports know now that it's not uncommon for quarterbacks and star basketball players and so on to sign $300 million contracts. Russell Wilson, I think, signed something like that when he left the Seahawks and went to Denver. How things have changed financially for the athletes. And today in 2012, North Korea agreed to a moratorium on nuclear missile tests and uranium enrichment after participating in talks with the United States. The United States agreed to send 240,000 tons of food and um, aid to the country in return. That's a few things that happened today, leap year, say, on the 29th. Have you ever thought about leap year? Why do we do that? I mean, why, why are we doing this today? Well, they had to add a, uh, a, a day to, to keep things, you know, from the calendar perspective, keep it working properly. The Associated Press ran a story this morning. It said the math is mind-boggling to a layperson, sort of way and down to fractions of days and minutes. It said there's even a leap second occasionally, but there's no big deal made about that. No, there isn't. Uh, they say, Associated Press said the thing to know is that leap year exists in large part to keep the months in sync with the annual events, including equinoxes and solstices. According to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory at the California Institute of Technology, it's a correction, they say, to counter the fact that Earth's orbit isn't precisely 365 days a year. The trip around the sun takes about six hours longer than that, according to NASA. So contrary to what some might believe, however, not every four years is a leap year. Adding, they say, adding a leap every uh, leap day every four years would make the calendar longer by more than 44 minutes. 
That's according to the National Air and Space Museum. So they keep adjusting it to meet the other uh, parts of our culture and what we do and so on and so forth. And then it gets into all the numbers, and I promise I will not take you there because I don't understand it. I looked at it and read it, and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I'm glad somebody else is, is supposed to be doing that because I would have the world upside down on its axis probably if I were making those decisions. I don't know. I noticed that uh, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, she wasted over $76 million trying to defeat former President Donald Trump in the four primary states in Michigan, South Carolina, New Hampshire, and Iowa. I'm not sure why she's doing this, except what I do know is that she's, uh, and I know some of you probably support her. I mean, you could, uh, because there are obviously uh, conservatives and Republicans who do support her. But I've, I've had to wonder, I mean, it's pretty clear that she's not going to get the nomination. And I'm wondering why this, so much money has been pouring into her. And I, I know the answer to that. It's because people that hate Donald Trump are using her as a kind of a pawn, as a vehicle to keep somebody out there in front of the news saying, you know, you know critical things about him and to him. And she's been doing that and becoming more and more aggressive in that over the last few days. But you just think about the wasteful spending in the first four primaries. And, uh, I mean, they, it could have been spent by these guys that are giving the money if they didn't hate Trump so much. They could have maybe put a, 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 a feel-good kind of a message out there that exposed to the country what they probably already know, at least some of us do, is that we're on the wrong track and things aren't going right in America and we need to make some changes. And, you know, whatever you feel that change is, is how you should vote. But we need, I mean, the way it's going now, they set, they set behind their desks on these newscasts, I mean, local and, and national, and they talk like with a straight face about things that aren't the president Biden is thinking deeply about the next America's next move in China or whatever. And I'm thinking he's not thinking deeply about anything. I mean, he can't be and everybody knows it, but they just, we just carry on. I mean, I'm reminded it's, it's overused as an illustration, but the King has no clothes. You know, the story of the King, you know, and, and he said, make me this robe of, of, you know, of gold and all this. And they come, come in later and they say, here it is, sir. And, you know, put it on him. And he said, well, there's, there's no robe. And he said, oh, they said, oh, only, only the good people, people who are good and loyal to the king can see it. And he said, oh, I see it. Yes. So he, you know, naked or half dressed goes down the street and everybody sees him. It's a kid a kid that calls out in this fairy tale, calls out, he said, the king has no clothes. That's where we are in America. I mean, it's sad, but it's almost unbelievable that we've allowed ourselves to get to this point. So anyway, these guys are spending $76 million to get hate comments out there about Trump. They know she's not going to get the nomination. I mean, even if you support Nikki Haley, you've probably come to the point where you just kind of know it's not going to happen unless it's through some kind of legal maneuvering. And Ron DeSantis, I know, is looking at that part of it to see if he has a place in interjecting himself into 
the election at a later date should Donald Trump be disposed of politically. So there is that going on, and maybe they're thinking that, but she's certainly setting you know a, a pretty poor record in front of the nation because her her the vote she's getting is in decline. But I also noticed that she says she's going to stay in through Super Tuesday, which is next week. It's the 5th. But I noticed that the amount of money coming into her campaign is decreasing. In Iowa, she spent $37 million. In New Hampshire, she spent $31 million. In South Carolina, she spent $8.4 million. And in Michigan, she spent $937,000. So that's a little update on what's happening in the nation. I noticed a story uh, coming out of Washington State. Overall, the U.S. marriage rate increased 12% in 2022. 16.7 women getting married within the last year per 1,000 women ages 15 years and older. That's compared to 14.9 per per 1,000 in 2021. That's according to the latest one-year estimates from the U.S. Census Bureau American uh, Community Survey. The, um, The trends, I've noticed, the trends are... Uh, one is there's there's several trends that are identified in several stories that are out there now about marriage. One of them is rates of marriage is declining in general. The number of people heading to the altar is declining. Number two, divorce rates have remained steady. Number three, those who marry are older. Number four, married couples are having fewer children. And number five, marriage counseling is on the rise. So it's with that backdrop, with that understanding that I saw the this article uh, from about Washington State it, it heads this bill heads to the government uh, to the governor and I, I was aware of it so I, I read of the bill so I read the story and it says it says it's an Associated Press story it says a law to establish 18 as a minimum marriage age in Washington State is headed to the governor's desk for his signature a law established 18 as the minimum marriage age in Washington state is headed to the governor's desk for his signature. State lawmakers in the House and Senate passed House Bill 1455 this season after the measure stalled in the Senate last year and other bills failed to gain traction in previous years. This year, the House passed it unanimously on the first day of session. On Friday, the Senate voted to pass the bill with a vote of 48 to 1. Republican Senator Jeff Hawley of Spokane cast the lone no vote. Marriage, marriage is under attack, whatever you said. I'm not advocating for, you know, 13-year-olds to get married. Please don't misunderstand me. What I am saying is, and what I see, is more and more intrusion in the, by the government into the family. And I talked about that yesterday at some length. But in marriage, particularly, marriage is under attack. The 60s sexual revolution, there's no question that took a toll on marriage as an institution. There's no question in my mind that this whole LGBTQ push to normalize same-sex marriage, that isn't marriage. Marriage is only. It's an institution that, again, predates politics. It predates culture. From the very beginning, Marriage was an institution that God himself created. 
And for the state to say, well, no, marriage isn't a one man and one woman. Marriage is two women or three women or two men and a woman or whatever. That's when they're immediately off off the page. They can call it a relationship. They can call it whatever they want and they can legalize it. But legalizing it by the state doesn't make it marriage in God's eyes. Because God instituted marriage as a man and a woman together for life. That was God's plan. So marriage is under attack. There's no question about that. But we keep hearing these numbers that now, and I, I mean, I've heard them. I might, might have even repeated them because some of the well-known pollsters are saying this and have been saying it over the last number of years. But a Christian author and a social researcher, her, uh, Shanti Feldman is her name, and she's written some books, and I was aware of her name, but I haven't followed her, and I don't know what all she's saying. So whatever all she's written, I'm not endorsing it, except I want to share with you something that she found through eight years of, of uh, research, uh, working with some other people in research on this issue. She said, when I started looking at the Census Bureau tables and CDC tables, and the Bureau of Vital Statistics, she said, that's when I was like, wait a minute, this does not match the narrative at all. Although she once believed the myth herself, Feldham now says that she ended up conducting an extensive research for eight years on the subject. CBN, Christian, uh, the Christian Network, um, they have reported on her, but the main... Uh, Television networks have not. The news just won't pick up on this because they don't want it because it doesn't fit their narrative. But she has facts that she's brought forward. And I want to share those with you. And maybe marriage isn't on the rocks as much as they like to say that it is because that if marriage is, is failing, then obviously they're there. The left is there to give you an alternative. So she said the reason it took eight years is because it is insanely complicated. Not marriage, but the reporting on marriage. She said there's not, not one right number. It's all a matter of how you look at it. She said because it kind of depends, like the state of divorce, uh, the percentage of people who will get divorced in the future, or is it the people who are already divorced? She said they, they're playing with numbers. 71% of people are still married to their first spouse, she said. 71%. She said that leaves 29%, but that's not the true story either, because that includes everybody who is married for over 50 years and their spouse died. She's drawing all of this from government agencies that do the reporting on the statistics about marriage, the health of the family, so to speak. 71% of people are still married to their first spouse. She leaves, what she says leaves 29%, but she said that's not the whole story either because that includes everybody who was married for 50 years and their spouse died. Regarding the death of a spouse, Feldham found out that the actual divorce rate is not greater than 25%. She said at one time a 50% divorce rate in the future was actually a reasonable projection. No-fault divorce entered the U.S. courts in 1972, which led to an explosion of divorces. Demographers of that day got really concerned, and they said, oh my goodness, this is her, I'm quoting her, oh my goodness, if this trend keeps up, we're going to hit a 50% divorce rate someday. 
rather than, and these are not her words, but mine, rather than addressing the issue of strengthening marriages in our culture, they decided to change the way they report on marriages so people wouldn't become disheartened and say, well, I'm not going to get married. I'll just live together or whatever. But just a few years later in 1980, the divorce rate began to trend down. We, we never got close to hitting the 50% projection, she says. And that is what has not been corrected in the public opinion. Because the statistic people haven't corrected that. They just moved on. And so America thinks, well, if, you know, if, if half the marriages are failing, then, you know, I, that's not such a bad thing. I, uh, my marriage fails, so, I mean, that's just where we are today. And it gives that spirit of, of, it takes away from the spirit of importance of marriages. She said a, sh- a few a few years later in 1980, the, the divorce rate began to trend down. She said, we never got close to hitting 50% projection. According to statistics compiled by Forbes magazine, more people get married in the span of each year now than get divorced. So marriage is on the on the upward swing and divorce is downward, according to Forbes magazine. In, 19, in 2022, a total of 689,308 marriages across 45 U.S. states ended in divorce. In that same year, 1.9, almost 1, 2 million, 1.9 85072 couples got married, making the nation's marriage rate six per 1,000 people. She noted that the ages of couples getting married is one factor in the divorce rate. She said people, people are getting married at slightly older ages. When they get married very young, these people have a higher divorce rate in risk. For instance, couples who marry after 25 are 50% least likely to get divorced than those who get married at 20. Feldham also debunked the myth that there is a high divorce rate among those who remarried after a divorce or death of a spouse. She debunked the myth that there's this divorce rate that we've been told is happening. She said, my senior researcher, this Tally Whitehead, had worked for her and with her, she said, I spent three years trying to find the studies under uh, underneath that num- number. She said, we were very uh, thorough. We went through all the different citations and all the news reports and the websites, and they all trace back to three sources that don't exist. She goes into this in depth in her book, but I, I felt that it, we needed to look at this because sometimes we get that feeling that Marriage is, is, you know, marriage is, is on, the, on the decline and it's in trouble and maybe it's not as important as other and it's, divorce becomes normal and so on. But we need to change the paradigm of how we talk about marriage because I don't know if it's intentionally or if it is, you know, just accidentally. But the people that we look to for statistics in America, the Census Bureau and all these foundations that are declining, have been giving this either purposefully or or not. I'm not judging their motives. That's a different conversation. But 
I am looking at the numbers, and I did some research on her, and I looked at some of the things she was saying in her book, and it is true. It's true. I think that we have been given a picture of marriage that isn't the case at all. And so we are trying to trying to to you know right the ship so to speak on family and marriage and I think if Christians begin to look at marriage in a more biblical way it's so much better because uh, we when we it's easy to fall into the world and fall into the thinking of the world and the world is saying well marriage is not important and we have and I understand some of you listening probably are divorced. I, I've been a pastor, a minister my entire life. And I've talked to so many people. I don't know how many people, maybe certainly hundreds, maybe thousands. I don't know. But about their difficulties, every marriage has difficulties. Every marriage does. It's a matter of what is the commitment. And we're a, a culture now that doesn't want to make commitments. We don't really want to because we're afraid to make commitments and so on. And we, we're a, an irresponsible culture today in, in many respects. And kids are raised to, to, you know, think there's no absolute truth and everything is kind of flux and change and your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and so on. It all, it, it all goes back to what I was talking about yesterday on this program, cultural Marxism. I mean, there's nothing that's fixed in this uh kind of an environment and marriage has one of the victims of that even the reporting on marriage it gives younger people the idea that it's not important and it's failing and so you know we act accordingly in some cases in too many cases so we need to change that paradigm about how we talk about marriage from marriage being in trouble and all this discouraging stuff saying wait a minute now most marriages are strong and happy for a lifetime. That makes a total difference to a couple. They can now say, well, you know, most people get through this and we can too. We, we make commitments. Marjorie and I have been married for a long time. And I, I mean, we have decided that marriage is, is, is a godly institution and we have stayed together and we have built a life together and it's, it's great. Have we had dif- difficulties? Of course. She's agreed with, disagreed with me a couple of times before she discovered she was wrong. I'm kidding. Of course we've had difficulties. Of course we've had to have some talks and so on. All of us are we're broken. We're imperfect. But marriage is the perfect, the perfect um, cornerstone of family, and family is the cornerstone of society. And that's the way God planned it. And then when we learn that the, the, the statistics that were being fed through the Census Bureau and CDC and all of these, I mean, are so misleading, and they don't even agree with one another. But when someone takes a hard look at it, turns on the light and looks at marriage, they're saying, wait a minute. of marriages aren't failing, but we hear that often. It's very much different than that. It's all a matter of how, those are mostly projections that have never been changed. They even know that those projections didn't come true. But now they're continuing to put it out there because 
it's out there. It's their truth, I guess, that they put out some time ago. Maybe they don't want to admit that they were wrong. I don't know. But that makes a lot of difference in how we look at marriage. And I would just like to end today after talking about this misconception that's put out for uh, about marriage. Just like to spend the next couple of minutes talking to you about your own relationships. As I said, I have counseled a lot of marriages, a lot of people over my lifetime. I've normally found that problems that it's not always true, but most of the time, the problems that break apart marriages are generally not as big as you think they are at the time if you have a commitment to work out your marriage. Now, I'm not talking about physical abuse and those kinds of things. Not at all. A woman should not be physically abused, and she needs to remove herself from a situation where she is. But just because you're mad or you disagree with a husband or you disagree with your wife or whatever, God can help that. God can heal that, and God can work that out. I've heard, I don't know how many times I've heard in my life, well, you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> God, you know, I, I just, we've grown apart. We don't love each other anymore. Well, you, you need to decide to love each other more. I mean, that that is the best plan for you, for your family, for your spouse. Whatever the issue is, see if God will help you. God can heal. God can bring about healing and, and, and a reconnection. But we do live in a culture where, I mean, it's now... It, a fiance means we're living together as though we're married, and that isn't that isn't biblical. I mean, it, it's destructive. It doesn't end well. And you know, you follow Hollywood and all that, and they're always you know living with somebody and so on. And so I would just maybe reassess your marriage, particularly to any of you who are having a problem in marriage, and allow God to to work in your heart and your spouse's heart. See what God can do for you. God is a healer. Jesus Christ is the great physician. He can heal the body, but he can heal the spirit and the emotions and so on. So I would highly encourage you. And that is the better path. You think, no, if I could just find someone else, then it'll be perfect. No, it won't. Because everybody is flawed. Everybody has sinned. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. And we have faults. We're not perfect. And whoever it is, you change spouses and you'll find some of the same problems will manifest themselves again. So I would just encourage you, God wants you to be in a wholesome, happy marriage. And I believe he can make your marriage that if you're facing or considering, you know, breaking up your marriage. I didn't plan to say this today, but I'm I just feel like it's for somebody Think about it. Pray about it. Let the Lord do what the Lord does. Because marriage is very, very important to God. And I know it is to all of us who are Christians as well. But maybe you haven't been a Christian. Maybe you haven't committed yourself to the Lord. Do that. But ask God for help and give him time to work things out. I think that is the message I want to leave with you today because that's an important message. Many, many people are depending on your marriage succeeding. Kids, maybe grandkids, so on. So let God be God. 
Thanks for being with me today. Thank you for your support. Box 399 Bellevue 98009. Again, thanks for being with me today. We'll see you right here tomorrow.